I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. Hi, I'm Tony Gargan and welcome to the Presenting, Pitching and Public Speaking podcast. And on today's episode, we are in for a real treat because we have none other than the famous Dave Seymour. I know. So Dave Seymour, um, I'm going to give you a mini intro, but let you talk uh, and introduce yourself. So retired uh, fire service veteran, um, ex UK based, now living in America and well known for any TV program Flipping Boston, which Chris and I, my husband and I, massive fans of and actually got us involved in property way back when. I got my husband interested in it way back when doing seminars, pitching, presenting, public speaking. And we're going to dig deep today. So thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. Uh, I got to tell you, Tony, it's so good for me because we met on Clubhouse, right? I'm an immigrant to, to the States uh, over 30 years now. I came in in 1986, you know, L- London born love. You know what I mean? Londoner. Grew up down by uh, Basingstoke, Winchester, Andover, down that way. And yeah, I get on podcast, on um, on Clubhouse and it's all it's all the English people. It's like I could talk Liverpool because I'm talking to Tony, you know what I mean? Like, love, you know, it's great. And I've got me the Liverpool accents going again. I could do me. I could do a little bit of Irish, a little bit of Scottish. It's so good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Better Scottish accent I've ever heard. Sometimes people do it, and I just kind of go yeah, smile and not, but that's half decent. I, I got to tell you, listen. I I got a job when I was a kid. I was a red coat. I worked at Butlins. I was a wreck, yeah, down in uh, Bogner, Bogner Regis. I did a summer down in Bogner Regis with, uh, with, as a red coat. And there was me and uh, there was like a crew of us. And we, we caused some trouble, just to be frank with you, right? We had, we had some fun. But uh, two of my mates there were, were Scousers. And I'll never forget it. Funniest thing ever. I bring them back to Andover where I grew up. And we're hanging at the pub. And his mom was there. She was visiting as well. And I did my very best Liverpoolian accent. And she really thought I was from Merseyside because it was so good. You know what I mean, love? And it was it was the funniest thing. And then she got right right rollicking fed up with me afterwards when she found out I was just, just putting it on. So anyway, I love it. I love you already. I haven't even met Chris and I love him. Let's do this. What do you want? I'll tell you everything. Uh, that's exactly what I want. So everyone listening to the podcast, it's all around, I'm giving hints, I'm giving tips, I'm giving advice. So I actually train people in public speaking and there are so many fears and concerns around it. So I want to do open form. I'm going to ask you questions and I'm just going to let you roll and we'll dig a little bit deeper because there is so much around um, what you do and have done that I think people can learn from. And sure. First thing I've written down is you've obviously always been a performer in some way, shape or form. You know, you went to, well, we've just been talking before the recording and, you know, you studied kind of the theatre, the arts and then moved into becoming a performer in the job. Have you always been a presenter of some format? You know what's what's interesting with that, Tony? The answer to that is yes. So, you know, I'm in in secondary school. Um, You know, I grew up in, in a pretty pretty standard English household. You know, we grew up on a, on a council estate. We didn't know we were broke. You know what I mean? <laughs> give me a, give me a, right. Give me a football and a piece of green grass and a couple of mates. I'm happy. Right. And, um, I, I was in my, um, I was in my, I don't know, maybe second or third year of, of, of secondary school. And, you know, I played football for the, for the school team and cricket and swimming and everything. And then I was always interested in the school plays. 
And I found something, and I'm going to be honest. I, I found that I liked the attention, and I liked the attention for two reasons. One, it, it felt good, right? But here's the other thing. I didn't have to live in my own securities anymore because I was somebody else. And it was, it was one of the most freeing experiences under the sun. I remember we did um, uh, The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde, and I played, I played Ernest. And it was a school production. It was nothing incredible. But I remember I was, you know, I was in the, the 1920s and I was earnest and the importance of being earnest. And I could, I could just have fun with it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have all of the, the, the shite that you, that you carry around as a teenager. It kind of went away, you know. The challenge was is that being able to be in the real world and not perform that that became kind of problematic. Uh, you know, I, I, it was just, it wasn't easy fitting in with the rest of society when I found most of my joys in in, in acting and, and being somebody else. So I love that. And again, I, I just literally sit and everyone who listens to my podcast knows I sit old school pen and paper and not just pen and paper, but like one of those cheesy pens with all of the multicolors. Look at your face. Oh, that's good. I love those. Those are good. You're going to have to send me one of those for doing the podcast. Really noted. I will absolutely send one. Um, but I do that because I write so many things down. And I think, although I always prepare, and everyone who knows me knows, I've always been a bit of a geek when it comes to presentations and then realized I had to kind of throw that out of the way and the window a little bit once I'd got comfortable with speaking on stage and presenting. Yeah. I love that because we can just go free form. And one thing that I've noticed is, you know, around the performance, it's just fun with you. Like every time we, we did meet on Clubhouse and, you know, I can be sat in the in the living room, in my pyjamas, with a glass of wine, watching TV in the background with no sound on, on Clubhouse. And I hear your voice and it just kind of, it lifts you up. You've got one of those really high energy, infectious voices but you mentioned that it's a little bit fun and you love the, the playfulness of being able to kind of be somebody else. But if you struggled to switch off the performance, did it ever get you into trouble? <laughs> Look at you. You go, girl. Yeah, it got me into trouble. Look, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm an open book. <laughs> you know, I, um, I, was in, I was in London. I was in school. I was studying at a performing arts college. Uh, you had to actually audition to get into these schools because it was government funded. You know what I mean? You got a you got a grant to go to these schools. You had to audition, and you know it's like your your RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, Lambda, London Academy, Weber Douglas. There were there were a few schools, and these were the schools that were producing you know stage actors, film actors. You know it was it was pretty hardcore. They even made me do ballet and tap. I tell you, the funniest thing ever is watching this great big lummox in a pair of pantyhose and a, a little codpiece trying to prance around doing a demi-plié and an entremont, coutremont and all that silly shit. But anyway, look, I, um, you know, part of that need, and I'll be honest with you, need for attention and performance, um, it was so strong in me because I, I, I didn't fit right in my own skin. It's my, it's my dysfunction, right? You asked me, did it get me into trouble? It did. I'd, I'd, I'd go drinking in London and wake up in Edinburgh with no eyebrows, no pubic hair and no money. You know what I mean? And that's, that's not an exaggeration. That's a true story. So, you know, I, I was never one for, for moderation. Um, I was never one for mediocrity. Um, 
I, I, I was that guy who was like, you know, I just want to get off the planet one way or another. And I did it with, with drugs and alcohol. You know, I, I just did. I, you don't, you know, it took me about 25 minutes seriously to, to consider emigrating, getting married and joining the United States Air Force at 19 years old. I, you know, I was, I was in a pub. I was shattered and it seemed like a really good idea to emigrate. You know, it, I, I never put a great deal of, of intelligence behind a lot of the decisions I made. But I have a, I have a theory. And it's kind of out there, but it's mine and I own it. I kind of have this theory that God, the good Lord, Buddha, you know, Sheba, whoever it is that you you believe is bigger and better than you. I believe there's a there's a balance, there's an equilibrium in life. And if and if you're perceived to have a dysfunction in one area, I believe you have an opportunity to excel in others so that there's a balance. You know what I mean? And for me, you know, the, the disease of alcoholism and, and the challenges around that that I faced as a young man, um, you know, God, my God, whatever, he said to me, you know what, dude, I'm going to give you a piss of sense of humor. You know what I mean? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you, you know, I'm going to give you a presence that people recognize. And now it's up to you. Learn how to monetize it. Learn how to do good things with it. Um, don't hurt yourself anymore. You know, definitely don't hurt other people. You know, stand up, own it, go out into the world and see what you can do. And it's funny, I, you know, I, I've done a lot of work on self. So if you want to bring it to being a platform speaker, uh, a podcaster, having a, a conversation with, with authenticity and intelligence, it takes work. You, you, you got to have a life experience to share first. And um, I, did a, uh, I did an interview with, with my friend Jack Canfield. Uh, he's the author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, um, you know, Secrets to Success. He was on the movie The Secret. And it's funny, Jack Canfield said exactly the same thing to me that you just said. He's like, you just seem like you're having fun, right? And the answer to that is yes. And here's the reason why. Even with the journey of sobriety and, and trying to step into greatness, you know, I spent 16 years as a firefighter and a paramedic, um, but I also spent, you know, 20, 20 years as a financial illiterate. And because of that, you know, I found myself in some pretty dark places, uh, financially challenged. Um, you know, I talk about the, the woman that I followed to the States to marry, but that was wife number one. You know what I mean? I, I, I got three of those, you know what I mean? So... You know, I'm married today. I'm very blessed to be in a relationship that works. My, you know, my wife, Mary Beth, is the, the rock that I get to stand on so I can look cool. But, you know, I've, um, I've done a lot of work, Tony. I've, I've been in a, a lot of, you know, self-help, 12-step uh, therapy, you know, laid on the couch and cried. And play. It's my mother. She didn't love me. You know, I've done, I've done all of that stuff. But, you know, today it's a case of, um, you know, replacing my fears with faith because I don't give a shit who you are. We're all scared. We're all scared. We're scared of, you know, they talk about on Clubhouse, they talk about, you know, imposter syndrome, right? If you're talking about imposter syndrome, you're an imposter. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just um, trying to step up every day and do the, the next right thing is what I learned a long time ago. You know, what's the next best thing in front of me? And, and just step into it and do it with faith. So anyway, I know that's kind of like circular, but that's who I am. I can't think nor talk in a straight line. No, this, I love this because we go off on tangents. And 
you know, a, a lot of, I teach systems in speaking, but one mm. of the most difficult parts of that, I think, is something that you've just made look easy, which is well, twofold. One, the ability to tell a story and keep people mm. in but two, to show vulnerability. And so often people think that sharing vulnerabilities or, you know, being perceived by the world as having imperfections is a negative. When I am a huge believer that that's what makes people buy into you. People buy into you. That phrase of replacing your fears with faith, absolutely love that. And I think there's so much in what you've just said. And I write all my notes down. I can't make, you know, head nods and I love them. But you use the word dysfunction. Yeah, actually, I don't think that your dysfunction or your, you know, people's perceived foibles or mistakes or issues or things that, you know, make you different. I actually see those as a blessing. Like you've turned that into your power. You've turned perceived not feeling, you know, comfortable in your own skin and feeling like you were more comfortable being someone else on a stage to just owning it and and I think it's important for the listeners to know that that took work because people see, you know, we talk about the analogy of the iceberg and people see this sure. open yeah. this guy who just seems to have his shit together. You know, he goes out there, he has lots of fun, makes every flip work financially, and it's, it's easy for him. That thought process of, well, it's all right for him. So for you to sure. share those vulnerabilities, I think, is both inspiring and more than anything motivating. I'm a... You know, I'm a massive advocate of people being inspiring, but when people say that to you, I think it counts for nothing. You know, <laughs> we've just been talking earlier on, I'm like, oh, the lockdown pounds have hit hard recently. You know, I'm inspired to go for a, day, a run every day. I'm inspired by so many people I see out there running, but I'm not motivated. The thing that motivates me is when my clothes don't fit or I play football in the garden with the kids and I'm like, catching my breath after 30 seconds and I think there's a massive difference between that so your ability to both inspire and then further than that motivate I think is is you know it's contagious isn't it and there is something that I just wanted to jump on there because you shared it on one of my social posts and I don't think people recognize these things well enough you know you've openly shared that you had these challenges and these demons if you like around you know finding your your way but with a with a crutch being drinking and, and drugs and all of those different things so you've recently celebrated a big anniversary haven't you i did yeah Je- yeah january uh 25th was uh 31 years imagine that 31 years without a drink a drug a mood or a mind altering substance and you know i th- i think about it. here's what's interesting tell me tell me what you think about this so i've been to you know, AA meetings, and it's supposed to be anonymous, but, you know, ask me if I care, right? As long as I don't tell you the name and address of the guy sitting next to me, I guess it's okay, right? So I I, I went to an AA meeting in West Virginia when I lived down there, and it wasn't the right time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 21. I'm trying to get sober before I can even legally drink in America. That's, <laughs> that's how screwed up I am. But, um, I was I was I got sober in in, uh, in men's meetings uh, specifically you know the, the the support groups think of them that way right the same way you have a PTSD support groups the same way you have you know somebody who's, who's suffered a, a, the loss of a child support group or you know battered wives support groups battered husbands support groups right this is just a place where we can go and identify because what happens is this is that demons are are they they hide in the shadows right 
Um, they're, they're lies. You don't air your dirty laundry around here, Darren. You know, we don't do that. Um, you know, uh, we don't talk about money. Uh, you know, that's Uncle Charlie. He's the black sheep of the family. We don't talk about him, right? This, this bullshit just manifests and, and perpetuates, you know, the, the sicker side of it. So for me, when I walked into a room of 200 guys, um, you know, smoking cigarettes, pounding down the coffees, swearing at each other, breaking each other's balls like, like it was in the pub or, or you know, the, the drinks after a rugby match. Um, it was like I, 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 I was home. I, I was in a place where I was understood. All of the bravado and the, and the acting bullshit that I put out there to protect the, the inner child, you know, and, and Dave still sits in the corner crying. He's about seven and a half, eight years old. Uh, you know, he still sits over there every now and again and, and waves his hand and says, what about me? You know, well, you <laughs> can't be going, you fucker. Um, but the grown-up Dave, you know, I've learned to just look at him and say, you're okay, kid. I got you, right? I can, I can look after you today. And then when you walk into that environment and you can be yourself and your bullshit is called out because you can't bullshit a bullshitter, right? Um, I, found a, I found a place in, in that arena where I could really start to sow some seeds of growth. But to the, to the point of business and public speaking and everything else, I remember sitting at a men's meeting and I'm looking around the table and I'm listening to, to the guys sharing, right? You're qualifying at a meeting and, you know, they're telling their story of, you know, before, during and after alcohol, right? Before I got sober, when I drank and then what it's like sober today. And I remember thinking to myself, my God, the tenacity the, the, the perpetual motion of the active addict, always on the hunt, right? I don't know if you ever smoked cigarettes before, but the last thing I did was smoke a butt at the end of the day, and the first thing I wanted to do was smoke a butt first thing in the morning, right? It took up all my mind time, sex, drugs, and alcohol, and cigarettes, and the chase, and the hunt, always looking for something to fix me. And I, I thought about that tenacity. I remember saying to a mate of mine, Tony, he's actually from Ireland. He came over when he was a young kid to the States. And I said to Tony, I said, if we take the ism, the it, the drive, whatever it is inside of us that makes us who we are like this, if we take that and put it into business, T, I said, we're all going to be fucking millionaires. We're going to be rich. And he looked at me like I had, had you know, three heads. But... That's it. That's really it. I believe that, you know, Rob Moore, um, you know, uh, John Lee, um, you know, some of the other ballers, heavy hitters that, that I've had the, the pleasure to rub elbows with and run alongside, um, they've taken that drive. And I'm not saying it's, you know, it's a disease. I'm just saying it's a, it's a choice. It's a drive. You know, I go to bed at the end of the day thinking about my investors. I wake up in the morning thinking about my investors. I go to sleep at night analyzing the next real estate deal. I wake up in the morning going, man, I, you know, I wake up richer every morning because I've been so busy at night, you know, working my business <laughs> while I'm asleep. And that, that's not for everyone. But that amount of work, Tony, and that amount of foundation allows, um, I believe, allows 
people to, people to fly, right? I, I want to fly with the eagles. Well, why are you hanging out with the freaking turkeys, you donkey? Come on, elevate, right? Level up. So um, it's not, if anyone tells you it's easy, they're a liar. Um, I was listening to you and you said, you know, you teach systems around speaking. I would be the absolute worst student for you because I've had, I've had some of the very best, you know, teachers, um, you know, try to try to teach me systems for speaking platform speaking. And, um, I've just relied on, you know, it's uh, whatever, you know, it sounds like an ego trip, but I've relied on, you know, on presence, you know, um, I remember when I left the, when I left theater school. I say left. I got kicked out. Oh. I did one year out of three. <laughs> yeah, I got kicked out. I remember that. Yeah, the the guy who ran the school. He said to me, he said, um, "I'm not sure what it is, David, that you're going to do." He said, "But we can't teach you." He said, "What you have is is raw." He said, it's, it's, it's raw. It's, it just, it's, it's, it's there. He says, I don't know how to help you mold that. He said, I believe you're, you're going to do some pretty good things. He said, um, but, um, you know, just go out there. He said, you're going to fall flat on your face and then you're going to get up and you're going to keep going. He said, but, um, you know, just, just don't forget it's a gift. He said, don't, don't waste it is what he said. Yeah. It took me uh, it took me quite a few years to figure out what he was saying, but um, again, I talk in circles, so I don't know how you doing. <laughs> <laughs> so much in there, and like I love challenge, so I am I am going to teach you one part of a very simple system, and I know you're going to use it. Um, the reason being, you know, again, there's so much in there. This this idea of challenge and support. You mentioned names like John Lee and Rob Moore and everyone who listens to the podcast knows that Rob has always been my mentor and he taught me the speaker system. Um, but it's, it's tiny, small dots that create this whole thing, but none of that counts for the presence. So when we teach it, you know, a lot of the people that I've taught public speaking to are the people who've been successful in speaking, but never had, uh, you know, a concise way of getting their message across or they felt like there's a lack of connection. And I think the skills can be taught but you bringing out your own personality can't be. And that is, I think, the difference between a mediocre and an amazing speaker is that whether you follow a system or not, your personality shines through. Um, I'm a really visual learner, so I remember things with, you know, anagrams, it's not anagrams, sorry, um, acronyms or with an image. That's the way that I learn. And I just come back, everything in speaking I teach, I teach about ABC. And I think you have it in droves, which is authenticity, Believability and congruence. That, that, <laughs> you know, taught you <laughs> Authenticity. So when I talk about systems, it's not necessarily everything has to be, you know, said in the right way. Uh, I think the ability for you to connect with an audience. I'm a huge fan of the poet Maya Angelou. And the, the phrase that always is in my head is that people forget what you said. They forget what you did, but they never forget the way you made them feel. And that. For sure. That you then felt in that men's room of 200 and odd people. And, you know, you said you felt like you fitted in. And that is kind of poles apart from where you were as a child. But it was still a performance of some sort. But you have to find that balance. And I'm a firm believer in that challenge and support. You know, when things are going amazing in life, 
you know, sure as shit, something's going to come along to knock you off your equilibrium and vice versa. When things are, feels like the world can't get any worse, you're hitting rock bottom. There will be something, there's a helping hand there in one way, shape or another, whether for you it's, you know, finding faith in and someone telling you you've got something more than this. And I love the analogy that you gave around or the thought process around, you know, if we use this passion and this amount of drive and that thing that fuels you, every single person, in my opinion, has addictions. Some of them are addictions to the phone, to whatever they are. Um, And and I think you can turn that into an addiction to success, which I think you've, you've created. And it's a blessing and a curse, you know. I'm sure we all have these, you know, really, it's in your head all of the time, wanting to be better, wanting to be more. But it's the entrepreneurial case and you have the ability to own it. And, you know, I am going whether you want to go there or not. I'm going to go back to seven and a half year old Dave in the corner because there is a, you know, that 12 year old Tony who went from being the gymnast and the, you know, always moving, the youngest of six kids, always being, you know, the, the performer of the family to becoming someone who is insular and not feeling right in my own skin. And I believe that everyone, you know, I I don't think there was anything wrong with all of us telling people this. Because every one of those people who want to be a presenter, everyone who wants to stand on a stage, we've all got a child inside of us that is needy. I think everyone has, whether they're on a stage or not. But I feed it. Not food, because Tony, fat Tony was too fat, like she needs to get over it. But you've got to feed what, what drives you forward. And it's finding the right route in that. Would you agree with that? I do. I do. Here's what it is. Everybody wants to be significant, right? Everybody wants to be significant. We want, we want a purpose. We want to be, you know, I want to be relevant. I want to be relevant. And, you know, if, if you take it into the world of, you know, if I feel insignificant, if I feel irrelevant, then the human, the human condition strives to be relevant. And it comes out in positives and negatives due to the, you know, due to the, the code by which we live in society, right? Uh, the mass murderer becomes significant because everybody goes, oh, my God, he killed 15 people, right? The, um, you know, the, the, the Hussein Bolt became significant because he ran faster than any other human being on the planet. He became significant. I think what happens is, is when, you know, when you identify your own greatness, um, what's his name there? The, the guy who passed away. Um, I'm in a brain fart. This um, Captain Tom Moore. No, I'm thinking of the, the, Anyway, I can't remember his name. It'll come to me. But he used to always say, it's like, I'm always searching for my own, my own true self, right? Jay, Jay Shetty, if you listen to some of Jay Shetty's stuff, he's always talking about, you know, to, to, be, to be present is a gift. And let's be really honest with ourselves, okay? No more bullshit. We spend very, very little time in the present, Right. In Alcoholics Anonymous, we always used to say, you know, I don't regret the past, nor do I shut the door on it, right? But if all I do is live in the past with regret and in the future with pride, I've got one in tomorrow and one in yesterday, one leg. I'm kind of like, I'm kind of pissing all over today, la. You know what I mean? Like fighting to be present is, is hard. And look, if you can, to thine own self be true. 
I've got a, a favorite saying. A guy said to me one time in a meeting, and it's just been, it's been, it's manifested over and over and over again in, in the past 31 years of my life. He said to me, it's always three o'clock in the morning in the heart of an alcoholic. That's what this guy said to me. And I said, what, what, where are you going? He said, he said, three o'clock in the morning is really the, 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 the real time of truth. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of research about 3 a.m. It's the time that, that spirits are supposed to walk the earth and, you know, some stars line up and shit. Like, I'm not going to go into, like, big picture. There's something cool about 3 o'clock in the morning. And what, it, what the guy was trying to say to me was, is he said, if you can look at yourself in the mirror at 3 o'clock in the morning and be okay with what's looking back at you, then that's a success, right? You're successful. Why 3 o'clock in the morning? Because there's nobody else around. One of the most freeing, freeing uh, things that was given to me, and I, I got this from Jack Canfield, was he said to me, David, other people's opinions of you are none of your business. And if you can lean into your own magnificence, believe in your own authenticity, own it, stand in your shoes, do not compare your insides to somebody else's outsides. To thine own self be true, he said, then you can you can step into, into magnificence. And you know, do I do I succeed every day, Tony? No. I've got a nine-year-old and an eleven-year-old, right? And a 26-year-old, all boys. And you know, I I fight so hard to be a husband. I fight so hard to be a father. Um I always say, you know. <laughs> I know that I'm doing really well in my marriage and please don't let any woman who listens to this, take it the wrong way. It's, it's just to, to, to highlight a point. Um, you know, when my wife has a coupon, we have a chain over here called bed, bath and beyond. It's like <laughs> towels and shit like that. Right. And the day that I can give a shit that she's got a coupon for $20 off a bed, bath and beyond when I care as much about that as she does, Honestly, I know I'm doing good. You know what I mean? It's like, because she said to me one day, she said, you know what your problem is, which is never a good opening line in any marriage, right? She said to me, I just want you to care about the things that I care about. It doesn't matter how important they are, right? She was all excited the other day. And it makes her sound, it makes, it's not her, it makes it sounds insignificant when I'm dealing with hundreds of millions of dollars, right? But she's like, you'll never guess what happened at the store today. I'm like, what, baby girl? What, what, what happened? She said, they forgot to take the, uh, the tag off of the yogurts. And I got last week's discounted price because they didn't change the tag. She goes, and the good news was it's the flavor that the kids love the most. I said, that's great. She goes, yeah, I saved me a dollar off of my yogurts. And I'm like listening to this and not watching the video. Dave's just on a full-on dance. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. She was like, she was like excited, and it, and then I look at her and she's like, I know you don't give a shit about a dollar. She said, but it was my win today. I'm like, I'm celebrating your win, baby girl. I'm with you. You know, I'm with you. So look, all of all of that, you know, came from being able to take care of seven-year-old Dave. 
eight-year-old Tony. I never forgot the girl who told me I loved this girl. I was like 14 years old. Loved this girl. <laughs> and uh, I asked her if she'd you know, be my, do you love me? Do you hate me? Do you, do you like me? It was one of those moments. Remember when we used to send the notes around school? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'm 14 and in love. And she called me pizza face. And she said, why, why would I ever want to be seen with you? I'm 14 years old. I got zits. I'm trying to figure out what being a man is. Never, ever, ever, ever forgot what that felt like. Ever, right? Um, money doesn't grow on trees. Know, know your role, right? Know, know where you're supposed to fit. My old man said to me, David, here's the deal. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. All right, Dad, I got that much. He says, now here's what you're going to do. He says, you're going to get yourself a job. He says, you're going to work eight hours every day. He said, and then, you know, you're probably not going to make enough money to buy a house. Um, if you're lucky, you'll get a wife and a couple of kids. You'll only ever get a second-hand car. And then after about 40 years of grafting for somebody else, son, they'll give you a gold watch if you're lucky. Uh, and then if, uh, you know, there might be enough pension to uh, get you to the finish line. And then, uh, you know, after that, you'll, you'll die. That was the message. You know, it, maybe it wasn't delivered that way, but, you know, it's, it's, it's generational. So today, you know, because of the work, I don't pass that shit on down the line anymore. Biggest fight I have in my house is, is she says, you know, uh, college. I go, why the, why the, why are they going to college? For what? So they can learn how to socially interact with the people that they'll employ when they graduate? Yeah, all right. If that's why they're going to college, fine. Let's go to university and get a piece of paper that says I can remember some shit and write it down later on. And get and in the States, you know, in the States, you get a $120,000 student debt bill to go with it. Right? We have choices, Tony. You know, God gave me choices today. That's the one thing that I've put in through all of that is that we do have choices. And I think it's such a generational thing, isn't it? You know, and like, even when I talk about so often, people all, I'm running clubhouse rooms on public speaking and people are like, oh, I can't do that. I'm not coming to the stage. They'll send you a DM. I can't come to the stage to ask my question because public speaking is the scariest thing in the world. Have you ever tried it? Well, no, but... And that's a generational thing, isn't it? People are scared of spiders because mum or dad was. People go and work in a job that is the eight hours a day for the rest of their life, waiting for a gold clock or a gold watch if they're lucky because they've been taught that way. And I think, you know, the rule breakers, the misfits, the dysfunctional people, we're the ones who break that mould. And we should absolutely be hugely proud of that and you know I'm the, I'm the same you know my two little boys I've got two little boys who are seven and ten so Owen is is the eldest and he's so entrepreneurial he's he's project managing our recent most recent refurbishment he's liaising he's on whatsapp groups with the builders and the contractors telling them what colors that he wants and he's so involved my youngest is not so bothered you know he's more he's not involved in it but the main reason, the main kind of idea we're exposing them to all of this is sure. it is important while you're there, but you're not going to be there forever. You know, you take yourself wherever you go. Yeah. So the you that you take wherever you go, you've got to be comfortable with him. 
you've got to be the best person that you can be and you'll have good days and you'll have bad days but every day you learn something new and the school days that are outside of school days are the most important in, in my opinion so I'm loving what you're saying and you know those stories of the like Chris and I are in business together, so we're quite fortunate, but we talk about things and we're talking, you know, multi-million pound deals with family members who are excited by the one pound saving on a yogurt, you know? And and that, that's what makes the world go round because if both of you or everyone was the same, then some of us would be redundant. And, and that's why I think shouting out, speaking out and being you, just owning you, you know, insecurities and, and challenges and all. And that's why I love what you're doing is showcasing who you are. You know, you're inspiring and motivating other people to do the same, which I am certain people of the podcast listening in will, will feel. Um, I want to dig a little bit deeper now because you then went from, you know, studying performing arts in the UK to following a girl the other side of the world <laughs> to then, you know, becoming a, a fire, part of the fire service. So fire service and paramedic where on earth did the leap from this to the Dave that I saw on flipping Boston, who was pulling pranks, doing whatever he wanted, you know? Uh, yeah. 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 I, um, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, um, I've always wanted to, to serve, right? Like be, be a part of the community. Um, I love camaraderie. You know, I got that. I was sober when I got on the, on the, 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 uh, fire department. I, I took a couple of tests. I took the fire department exam. And I took the police department exam when I was 16. You'll love this. I tried to join the London, um, London Mets, like the, the, the startup program for them. Um, I was too fat. I was too fat. I, yeah, I was too fat. I, I, no, yeah, the weight, the height and weight requirement. They had one back then. I couldn't be a, I couldn't be a copper back in England. But, um, you know, I always I like the uh, I like the edge. Right. I liked the um, the adrenaline. Um, I'm not a big brawler, you know, I think I, I lost every fight I ever got into, <laughs> but you know, I liked, I liked the idea of taking care of other people. Um, I think I have a little knight in shining armor, you know, syndrome in there, not from an egotistical standpoint, but if I see somebody hurt and I can't walk away, I was in London one time and I see this, this guy, um, he was just beating on his girl in a, in a telephone box in London. And um, I stepped in there, and uh, next thing I know, she's coming after me. <laughs> I ended up hiding in a kebab shop while this this guy and his girl who had beaten the snot out of each other half an hour earlier are chasing me down the Battersea High Street with a freaking <laughs> with a freaking butcher knife. But anyway, um, yeah, I um, you know I moved around the states a little bit and. Um, a mate of mine said to me, he was actually in AA and he was a, a firefighter in Salem, Massachusetts. I live in Massachusetts, just north of Boston. Salem, Mass is which, which city, the Salem trials and all of that stuff, right? So he was a firefighter. He said, why are you taking the cop exams? He said, why don't you take a, why don't you take a fire firefighter exam as well? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that could be good. All right, I'll give that a go. Good government job, see? You got a pension. We'll give it a try. So I was in Miami and I took a police test in Miami and I took a, a fire department exam in Lynn, Lynn, Massachusetts, where I was living at the time, otherwise known as Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin. You never come out the way you went in. Uh, Lynn was, yeah, Lynn was tough. It was a tough inner city. You know, think of some of the tougher parts of Liverpool and Manchester. Like we, we had, we had the equivalent here, 
drugs and gangbangers and shit like that. But um, I got I got two cards in the mail. One was Miami PD offering me a job as a cop in Miami. And the same day I get a card in the mail from Lynn, Massachusetts, where I lived, offering me a job as a firefighter. So, uh, you know, it's one of those forks in the road moment. And I took the job as a, as a firefighter. And Tony, I loved it. I loved it. There is nothing, nothing on this earth to compare to the fear of going into a burning, <laughs> burning building while everybody else is running out, right? Um, I got to see things that people shouldn't see. Um, you know, we didn't save them all. Uh, families passing away. Um, the fire service has been a um, like a catalyst for business. It really has. It takes it takes teamwork. It takes drilling. It takes consistency. You know, I I, I go into I go into a rip. Um, if I'm on the tip, we call it. If I'm on the nozzle, if I'm on the pipe, I got the water line. I want to always feel that guy behind me, right? I want to, I want to know that somebody's got my back. And, um, you know, the fire service was like that. You know, when we were out of the building, everybody was an asshole. We'd all break each other's balls and dime each other out and complain about each other like a bunch of old women. But, um, you know, when the shit hit the fan and the bell went off, there were, for me, there, were, there wasn't a better place to be than side by side with a couple of brothers. And, um, you know, it really, if, if, I, if I wasn't a financial donkey back then, if I wasn't, if I didn't understand the fact that it's not a good idea to spend more money than you earn, um, if I hadn't, you know, bought my, my consumer mentality and my, my dad's, you know, guidance into the fire service, you know, if I'd have if I'd have had a, a different outlook and mindset, I'd probably still be fighting fires. I would have taken a couple of promotional exams. I didn't like the politics. I figured out later on as 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 time went along, I'm not employable. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at being told what to do. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> right? It's you know, it's not in my DNA. But um, I was I was in the fire department. Uh, 48 hours a week. I was working construction. I had a small construction company. So in the fire service, we worked two days on, two nights on, four days off. So there were six like daytime days that were open. Um, and on my days off, I ran a small construction company with two another two of, two of my mates from the fire department. Sully was a fantastic carpenter. He was one of the best chippies I've ever met. His old man was an engineer at GE. Generous Electric, we call it, the, the General Electric. So Skipper was a solid, solid contractor. Like he could he could put in a kitchen, you know, he, he, he frame out a deck, you know, like uh, he was just solid. And we put a kitchen in the firehouse. And I said to him, Skip, why don't we do this on the outside? He goes, no, no, I can't do it. I'm like, why, brother? Come on, let's go, baby. We can make some money on our days off. He goes, you just said a dirty word to me. I go, what's that? He goes, money. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I can't ask for money. He said, I, I'll do it for free, but I'm not asking for money. I said, all right, stupid. Here we go. Ready? I'll pay you $200 a day, no matter whether we do a four-hour day or an eight-hour day. I said, and then I'll deal with the customers. I'll put the contracts together, and I'll, and I'll raise the money. He said, if you deal with the customers and the money, he said, then we'll do it. And that's how we started our construction business. 
which was sounded really good, but I found out that I was the last one to get paid all the time. Mm. Now, <laughs> there usually wasn't enough left over. So I'm working fire department hours, nights, weekends. I'm working construction, another 40 hours a week. So now I'm up to about 88, 90 hours a week. I still can't make my bills. Um, my, my second wife like, like to spend. Um, you know, I take responsibility for my part in it. I try and keep my side of the street always clean. But when marriages fall apart, they fall apart because two people don't participate, not just one. And, um, you know, it was, it was hard, you know, I got stories up the yin yang would go on forever, but, um, you know, it, we, we lost, we lost any connection. I was out there seeing shit and doing shit that she couldn't relate to, um, sp spending money. I'm working, working, working. I get a third job, um, special police officer working retail, um, you know, another 20 hours. I'm working about a hundred and 120 hours a week. I'm about $70,000 in unsecured credit card debt. Uh, I got mortgage payment. Uh, I got a son, you know, my, my oldest boy was now 26. He was, you know, eight, nine years old at the time. And, um, closest I ever came to drinking was during that period of time. I, I could, I didn't have a crutch. I had to own it. I had to stand in all the shit and own it. And uh, there was a commercial that came on the radio. I'm screaming and shouting, pounding the steering wheel of my, my pickup truck, crying my eyes out like a baby, like, what the f I did everything I was supposed to do. I didn't lie, cheat, steal. I don't drink. I don't drug. I haven't cheated on my wife. What, what did I do wrong? And a commercial comes on the radio. Teach me foreclosure. A free one and a half hour real estate seminar coming to your neck of the woods. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Well, all right, God, I'm listening, you prick. I'm listening. And I went to a seminar. And for the first time in my life, I started to hear things that resonated with me. Guy said to me, he said, if you always trade time for money, you'll never be wealthy. He said, if you don't learn how to have money work for you, you'll never be wealthy. He said, trading time for money does not leave a legacy. He said, you cannot pass on your collegiate degree to your children, but you can pass on real estate. He said, OPM stands for other people's money. When you have skills, when you have knowledge, and you implement the knowledge, you now have a power that cannot be matched. He said, and you will attract money through your knowledge and implementation and the skill sets that we can teach you. And I'm like, okay, what do I do next? Well, you need to give us $3,000 for our three-day class. That's what you need to do next. So I went to the three-day class, and um, my now wife, Mary Beth, was with me. I met my wife, Mary Beth, at um, a labor and delivery room. I was a paramedic in training at the fire department, and Mary Beth was a labor and delivery nurse. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, that's where we met, delivering somebody else's baby. Not the most romantic of uh, environments, but we, we seem to figure it out. And Mary Beth came with me to that three-day class. And um, at the end of the three-day class, it was 27500 for coaching, and, right? Coaching and mentoring and everything else. I'm sure Rob charged you the same, right? <laughs> out of my money. <laughs> right? So I looked at Mary Beth and I said to her, I said, you know, what do you think? And she said, well, what do you think? I said, well, it's not what I think, it's what I now know. Once you are aware... You can't ever be unaware again. 
And these pricks had opened up some doors in my mind that I could not, I couldn't close them. And I said to her, I said, here's what I do know. As I said, um, I can't go backwards. I'm in motion. And she said to me, she said, are you going to do this? I said, I am. And she said, go get them, killer. She said, I'm proud of you. She said, I love you. And I'll support you in whatever you want to do. And I looked at her. <laughs> I said to her, I said, I'm so glad you said that, baby girl. I said, because I, I don't have any credit card money left at all. We got to use yours. <laughs> and she, uh, she became my, uh, she became my first private investor, Tony. Do you know what? I love that, that she is referred to as your first private investor. And again, there's like, I feel like we could go on for days with this. There's so much in there that having someone who's got your back was the theme all the way through in the fire service, physically feel in mentorship, having someone who's got your back to point you in the right direction or give you a nudge in, you know, the alternative direction when you're making And then in life, and sometimes, you know, by the sounds of things, you and I were really fortunate. I was the driving force in all of that. I was the, I'm really glad you've said yes because I've already signed up for it, you know. I've, yeah, yeah. Didn't feel the fear and do it anyway type thing. And they, I think they are the decisions that drive us forward because you said you were, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in debt. And I feel like it. The, it's a scouse phrase probably, but it's shit or bust, isn't it? Like, yeah. What, thousand pounds more on top of an already you know double digit figures tens of thousands of dollars and for me like I'd never been in debt before I'd never I'd never had a credit card because all debt's bad you want something you work hard for it girl you know you go out there and you work hard for it and it was my dad's 85th birthday yesterday I'm the youngest oh, God bless him long shot. and we all went for COVID tests and me Chris and the boys went to see him and, you know, he's 85, so what do you buy the 85-year-old who has six kids and has everything he could possibly need? The biggest hoodie you've ever seen because he's cold and the nicest bottle of whiskey that you can find. And there he is with all these different bottles of whiskey that everyone has brought to him. And he said, how's business, girl? And, you know, we got talking about it because we've just done a really big portfolio purchase. And he said, uh, how many houses was in that one? And he's never asked before. My dad has zero idea how many houses we have, how much debt we're in, because if you want something, you work hard for it. That's right, yeah. Just about to pay back the last investor. Um, the mortgage on that chunk of it was about two and a half million. <laughs> and my dad's excuse my French, fucking hell! I, know. <laughs> I just thought, they are, that's why we do it, isn't it? My dad is the coolest 85-year-old in the world. He has no clue, but he's because he's not there and because, you know, my, my brothers and sisters, you don't get what we do. You need that support. And I'm really looking at, I have Chris, you're really looking at, you have Mary Beth, who's, you know, go get them. I'll, I'll help you with it. So having people is important. And I think not everyone's got that. And this is where, you know, you're a group of 200 men who are going through the same thing. It's that walking in the, the path before you. Uh, and that's why I think it's really important for people to hear all of these stories because they see the you on the TV who just, you know, he's got it all together. He's really funny. He comes in. It looks like yeah. they're one way. The potential they're going to lose money. They've made the money on the flip. And it's like, oh, it's all right for him. He can do it, but I can't. So sharing all of this, and I, I'm really grateful for how open you've been and, and how much you've shared in it. So you've then gone from the, the you know, all of the corporate roles and there's always been a bit of a theme that I can see, which is, a uh, you know, just do it. Why, yeah. 
just one one question from someone asking why are you doing the pd one instead of doing the fire department one just do it okay and it, it's like i can't think of a reason why not to so i'll just do it and sometimes that is all you know the thing that drives you forward isn't it that you just go out there and do it so i love that you did that that changed the trajectory of where you went and what you did and where you are now so you served for 16 years and and that's you know a huge achievement in itself and then realize the two three jobs the hard work you called yourself financially illiterate so you know we're either taught to be wealthy or we're taught not to be and that's it's our blueprint isn't it our money blueprint that that dictates and you've broken the mold on that so how did you then go from you know setting up this business which should have been the thing that you know, kickstarted you into into entrepreneurial world to where you are now, you know, partnering with people like Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, raising multi-millions of dollars in, in finance, building these huge buildings, being kind of headhunted effectively for TV programs. How do you go from this stage to this stage? You just, you, you get in the way of something good every single day. That's, that's how you do it. Um, I started that journey, right? That that twenty seven thousand five hundred. It was with the uh, Whitney organization, Russ Whitney. So it's funny watching Russ on Clubhouse now because I knew him when he was, you know, when he was the man. I mean, Whitney organization was bought out by Rich Dad Poor Dad. So it, it's funny when you start in in uh, an educational seminar environment. Once your email and phone number gets out there, you know, it gets it gets shopped around. It's just hoard out amongst everybody, right? And all of a sudden, you're getting all these shiny things coming at you through your inbox. And um, there was a guy out there. His name was Jeff Adams. And um, Jeff Adams, JT Fox, um, Cody Sperber. I mean, all of these guys that you see on there, I knew them when they were all selling bullshit in a box for a thousand bucks is what I used to call it, right? You know, home study course this, home study course that. That's what it was back then. It was tapes and 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 CDs and you know manuals to to teach you how to be you know wealthy. And um, this guy Jeff Adams had some websites, and I and I I went to his event. Um, he was a speaker at an event here in Boston. It was a multi-speaker event where you know guys would gal and girls would get up one after another, and everyone was trying to sell you the next best thing, right? You say right? twenty minutes, yeah. So I, uh, this guy, Jeff Adams got up there and his story was he was an LA County fire captain and got into real estate and his public speaking was horrendous. <laughs> it was awful. He tried to add humor to his presentation and the guy had no idea about comedic timing. He had no idea about relatability or presence or anything. But I bought his websites for two grand or whatever it was. And I went up to him afterwards and I went, hey, Jeff, I'm Dave. I'm a firefighter. You know, I appreciate your presentation. I bought your websites. I said, but I got to tell you, buddy, your comedy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, what? I go, dude, your comedy sucks so bad. I go, brother, I said, comedic timing is all about allowing the audience to enjoy the gag. I said, you're already telling them the punchline, and then you're laughing at your own joke before they even got it. What are you doing? <laughs> and he looks at me, right? Now, he's the millionaire billionaire. I'm the guy out of the audience. And he looks at me, and he goes, who are you? I go, Dave, I'm a firefighter. I'm in real estate. Never done a fucking deal. I'm in real estate. He goes, um, I said, but I, I also did stand-up comedy in the pubs and clubs in London, I said, you know, I, I know a little bit about 
being funny, I think. And he looked at me, Tony, and he goes, this is another defining moment, by the way. He looks at me and he goes, you're a firefighter? I go, yeah. He goes, and you know, you know comedy? I go, yeah. He goes, uh, okay, you're now my comedy coach. He said, I got a three-day event in Orlando. He said, I'm going to pay you 1500 bucks for three days. I'm going to fly you down there, put you up in a hotel. He says, and I want you to critique my presentation. Oh, my God. Right? I'm like, stop it. He goes, here's my phone number. He says, I'll text you or call you or whatever, uh, and, we'll, and I'll give you the arrangements. So I, I go over to Mary Beth, and she's like, what? I go, yeah, stop it. Fifteen hundred bucks. Tony, do you know how many hours I had to tra trade for fifteen hundred bucks? How many medicals, heart attacks, shootings, fires, wow. digging freaking ditches? Next thing I know, I'm in Orlando. And now I'm on the inside looking out instead of the outside looking in. This guy opened a door. And I'm sitting at this, um, it was called Texas de Brazil, a Brazilian steakhouse in Orlando, right? And they got these great big chunks of meat on skewers and there's meat coming out of every orifice of your body. It's just cows everywhere getting killed and eaten, right? Fucking salad bar, like 40 feet long with shrimp and shaman and hearts of palm. What the fuck is a heart of palm, right? Like, this is, oh my God, tomatoes the size of my head, or as we say in England, tomatoes. And, um, you know, it was interesting. Mary Beth had bought me a, um, a new watch. I, I go down, I'm wearing a suit that doesn't fit. She's got me a new watch. It wasn't a Seiko, but it was a little better than a Seiko, maybe a nice, you know, $100, $50 watch. It was beautiful. And now I'm sitting at the table with all of these guys. You know, this guy's a, a commercial guy. This guy does wholesaling. This guy's, a, you know, self-storage. This guy's apartment complexes. Jeff Adams is a, the ultimate house flipper. And, and, you know, they're rolling. And I'm sitting at this table, and they start talking about watches, right? And this guy goes, yeah, it's my new Rolex, 120 grand, he goes. And this guy goes, oh, I like a, you know, I like a Panerai. I got a Panerai, 75 grand. And they're sitting there at this table. Defining moment. I cover my watch. Put my, put my hand down. And I have a, like a 10-second internal dialogue, which involved a lot of profanity. <laughs> I'd been sober maybe 10 years by then, somewhere around there. So I'd done that work. And I was okay being me. For a second, I was a fugazi. I cover my watch. I hide myself. I go backwards. And then I have this internal, this internal dialogue, and I'm screaming at myself, you earned it. You put it in the work. You've done the time. You earned it. You have things that some of these guys need. Some of them are scumbags. They're donkeys. They're clowns. They're bandits. They hurt. They don't help. And um, I, I just stepped into it that day, and I said, never backwards. Long story short, because I know, look at us going, it's my dirty. Um, I, um, I stepped into it and I began to be myself only bigger. That's a, that's a speaking tip. Be yourself only bigger. I stepped into it and I became the MC 
at all of those multi-speaker events. I was the first one to sell coaching at a multi-speaker event. And there was a guy by the name of Alan Cowgill, and his program was to teach you how to raise private money. And Alan and I became friends, and, and I'm doing an MC event, and Alan was supposed to go up to Boston to another event and speak and do his, you know, hour and a half pitch, and he couldn't make it. And he says to me, well, why don't you do it? I'm like, what? He goes, well, why don't you do it? I go, well, you are right. He said, you've seen me do this presentation 100 times. He said, I'll give you 33% of what you sell. I said, what? He goes, 33% of what you sell. And now I'm thinking to myself, even if I only sell five of them, that's five grand, that's 2,500 bucks. You know, two grand, whatever. I said, okay. And that was the first time I got to be a platform speaker. Wow. I was supposed to go for an hour and a half. And I went for two hours. <laughs> all, all the guys, JT Fox was one of them. JT Fox was at the back. Marco Kozlowski, Jeff Adams, a couple of other guys. They're all in the back there. And they're all doing the over-under. Am I going to do a goose egg? And back in the day, it was like, you know, the first three at the back table get a bonus. The next five get a bonus. You know, it was what we called the Pie Piper close to get folks to move to the back table with a credit card. And I sold, I think it was $10,000. Amazing. And as soon as I closed, because you got to be a closer, mm-hmm. you don't close, you don't get to play, right? As soon as I closed, I got like three calls from other guys. And they're like, will you go speak for me? Will you go speak for me? Will you go speak for me? And um, I became a hired gun. The, the, the thing was, give Dave a, a PowerPoint on a thumb drive, let him take out the pictures of your family, put in pictures of his family, Nothing present and off I went and um, that that snowballed um, into I did 16,000 people at an audience in Toronto with Tony Robbins and Pitbull Um, I've been on stages with some of the some of the biggest and the best Um, I've always stayed humble along the way and there's a guy by the name of Russell Brunson you can find Russ Brunson on Clubhouse right now and Russell Brunson was part of our group back then, right? These were all up and coming guys. And Russell Brunson sent out a link to um, a film company in New York that was looking to bring back house flipping shows after the crash, right? So this was like 2009 into 10 around that time. And um, he sent me a link and I'm like, well, I got to lose. I'm still in the firehouse at this time. I'm still at the firehouse. I haven't quit yet. I'm not doing construction on my days off. And um, it was a, a, a doubt. What? What? 80 hours a week instead of 120. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I found some extra time. But um, I'd, I've done a couple of deals with my then partner, Pete, the guy on the TV show, but we didn't have a real business. And it was an application, uh, a vanilla application to this production company. And I knew enough. I've been around these guys long enough to know that you got to know how to separate yourself. you got to know how to smack somebody in the mouth. Tony Robbins calls it a a conscious interruption. If you can't interrupt the consciousness and the subconsciousness, then you're not going to have an effect. How can you interrupt the subconsciousness of somebody who's going to read my vanilla application at some point? Good old-fashioned profanity, baby. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) right? They said, uh, name me your company. I put on there, go fuck yourself, LLC. (laughs) 
that's what I, that's what I put on there, right? That's what I put on there. Um, you know, tell me about, tell me about your, your, your company. And I'm like, stop wasting my time. Beep, 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 beep. Get on a plane, train, or automobile. Come to Boston. I'm Dave. I'm the firefighter. You know, I'm a firefighter medic. I do real estate the same way that, um, you know, that I fight fires. When every other asshole goes running out, we go running in. Blah, 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 blah. And then at the bottom was, don't fucking call me. Do not effing call me. Do not call me. I will not answer the phone if you call me. Don't call me. That's what I put on the bottom of it. Don't waste my effing time. Get on a plane, train, or automobile. Don't call me. And I hit send. And within five minutes, I get a 212 New York City area call coming in on the phone. So I answered the phone. I said, hey, fuck nuts. I thought I told you not to call me. And I hung up the phone. And I'm like, please call back. And they, and they called back. Yeah. And that was how it started. The guy says to me, he says, you're either a genius or a lunatic. I said, I'm both, baby. Let's go. Let's go film this thing. I got some crazy boys that can do this, this with us. We shot a little mini pilot. They like the big English guy, right? That big Englishman looks like he could get angry. We'd like to see more of that. That's what A&E said. So then I'm acting. You know, I'm, I'm acting. The houses were real. Um, and then off it went, flipping Boston, four seasons. Then I'm on, uh, you know, Today Show and Rachel Ray and Squawk Box and CNBC. And I'm sitting next to the vice president of the Federal Reserve, on a panel one day, and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, what am I doing here? You know, two years ago, I was in the fire department digging ditches. What do you think about the state of the economy? Oh, I think it's fucking awesome. You know, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, it's crazy. But you're getting away with something good. So anyway, long story short, that's it. So much in there again. And the, like the common threads, because I always like to pull out the common threads, because I think they're the... They're the meat and the bones of it, aren't they? And that is just being you. Stand up, stand out. Don't be afraid. Because people are going to, like, that That was one of the biggest lessons I ever heard, learned from Rob Moore because I am from Liverpool. I do have an accent. It's quite thick, you know. And there's all these stereotypes. And I remember saying to Rob, because I got into property first and, and real estate, obviously, in the, in the US. I got into property and real estate. But that's never been my passion. I love what it does for you. I love what it does for the people around you. I love taking a, a you know, the ugly duckling and turning it into the swan yeah. home for people. I love all of that of it, but don't love the, the nuts and bolts of it. There are so many parts of it that I don't enjoy, but that gives me so much passive income that I've then got this free time, which, you know, that's like, what's, what's free time? You know, you've been there with the, and you were working a hell of a lot more than me. Um, and I love the, speaking the mentor in the training you know those feelings where and you've without a shadow of a doubt done this from the person who is running to the back of the room with a credit card to being the person who's sending you thank you messages because you know they can make the rent this month or they can you know take the kids away on holiday which they've never been able to do and uh, the theme that come out was people are going to judge you anyway i was fearful of standing on a stage and rob said people are going to judge you anyway so let them exaggerate who you are let them judge you for who you are and I think that's one of the things that you know I'm just we've not known each other long but it's just like you just have this infectious personality and I'm like I feel like you're Dave down the pub and I've known you forever right 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 I get it I um I'm pulling something up here I'm gonna I'm gonna so it's fear-based right it's the fear of being judged it's the fear, I, I'm gonna look like a fool uh you know people I'm, I'm here's what it is right 
people will always find a reason why not. And some people will find a reason why they will, right? I think it was Ford, right? If you believe you can, you're right. And if you believe you can't, you're right. And I think I think this this pressure to to fit, to to be a part of um, forces people to be apart from. And what I mean by that is, right, it's it's like I'm too old. No, I'm too young. Uh, I'm too fat. Uh, well, I'm, I'm way too skinny. You know what? I'm black. There's no way it's going to work. I'm black. I'm a privileged white guy. It's never going to work for me. I'm a woman. I can't do that. I'm a woman. Are you kidding me? I can't do that. I'm a man. I'm not sensitive enough to do that. Too old, too rich, too poor, too black, too white, too fat, too thin, too smart, too dumb. We can always find an excuse why not to do something. And the day that somebody said to me, start finding the reasons why you can do something, and then the magic will happen, right? What if one of the most powerful lines there is in platform speaking and mentoring, what if, what if I could show you a way? What if I could teach you? What would it be like? What could happen if we did this? That the loop, the NLP, the, the journey that you can take people on through platform speaking, when you are really, really good at it, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm probably a, you know, a, a 75% kind of a guy. Um, people hire me because of the, the, the presence that I bring to the table and, and people relate. People, you know, uh, are attracted to the whatever. But, you know, having that skill set, you know, Hitler, Hitler did a lot of damage using that skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, Gandhi did a lot of phenomenal, beautiful things with that skill set. Mother Teresa did magic with that. Um, you know, um, Nelson Mandela, Obama, like him or hate him, one of the best orators that, that were ever out there, right? So the ability to be a wordsmith with authenticity and heart is the most powerful tool you can put in a, a human being's tool belt, in my opinion. Uh, we have a responsibility. I learned this in AA. When you have something that, that is, is powerful, it's good, you have a responsibility to give it away and share it. You do. You can't, you can't hold on to it. You can't, you can't hold it in your hands. You got to let it go so that it goes out and comes back. So, um, you know, yeah, we have only met, but, you know, it's nice, it's nice to have a liver puddly and sister. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't take long. I want to tell you a story because I think it's um, I think it's appropriate to the to the topic of everything that we discussed here. But you reminded me when 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 you talked to your father. Um, I was maybe two years into flipping Boston. Um, my boys were uh, were young, maybe one and three, somewhere around there, and my dad hadn't met met his grandsons yet. So I said to him, well, you know, why don't you come over, Dad? Bring, bring Annie, my stepmom, bring Annie with you. Come on over. We'll have a little holiday up in Maine. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll have, we'll have some time, get to meet the kids. Cool, that'd be nice, he says. So I, I fly my dad and his wife first class, right, uh, British Airways or Virgin, whatever it was. And I rented uh, like a 10,000-square-foot mansion in Maine with a swimming pool, you know, nice old just a beautiful place, phenomenal countryside. 
And, um, you know, I just, you know, he's still rolling his own fags and, you know, having a beer. Like, he, de- he didn't change. But the environment had changed. And, you know, I, I had obviously changed. And I said to him, I said, Dad, I, I've got to do an event down in Houston. Do you want to come with or do you want to stay with Mary Beth and the kids? You do whatever you want to do. Well, what, what, what do you mean you've got an event? I said, well, I teach real estate investing. There's 300 people down there and I'll be there for three days and, you know, I'll be teaching what I do in real estate and blah, 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 blah. He says, cool, that'd be nice. I've never been to Texas. I said, all right, Dad. So uh, he comes with me to Texas. Now my dad is um, at the event and he sees that energy. Like he, I, I remember watching him poke his head through the door of the, of the ballroom and I'm up on stage doing my thing. And then uh, we go to dinner and we went to a Brazilian steakhouse, right? I always used to say my dad is meat and two veg, right? That's it. Don't put any, don't put any salad cream on the salad. Right. Don't put any salad cream on there. No sauces, no, no tomato sauce, maybe a little HP sauce every now and again, if he's really feeling pretty risque, but that's about it. Right. And as I went into the restaurant with him, the, the valet's like, Hey, flipping Boston. Can I get a selfie? The waitress is like, Hey, can I get a selfie? And here's, here's the, the, the pinnacle of the journey. This is the most important part of the whole journey. We're walking from the restaurant back to um, the hotel. His wife, Annie's maybe 10 feet behind us, and it's just me and my dad walking. And he looked at me and he says to me, he says, I ain't sure what you're doing over here in America, boy. He says, uh, is it fucking legal? <laughs> I said, Dad, it, it's legal. I said, it's legal, mate. I promise. He says, all right. He says, um, so what is it in? I said, well, it's real estate, Dad. He says, David, I don't understand. He says, but whatever it is you're doing, boy, he says, keep on doing it. He says, I'm proud of you. Everything, everything up until that point was worth it. That's it. That's it. The little boy just wanted his dad to be proud. And that someday I'm going to be proud of my sons, right? It's easy for a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old to be proud of their dad. I let them watch a video when they're not supposed to. They're proud of me. You know what I mean? But that is the moment of truth. That's three o'clock in the morning on a sidewalk in Houston, Texas, with a, a, a man who grew up, my dad, one of six, in the projects of Battersea in London. They were tilers. They tiled the subways of London. I mean, just the working class blue collar. And to then put him in that environment where he looks at me and it's like, he still to this day doesn't know, right? He called me up. He goes, David, uh, I need, I'm going to buy a new house. I said, all right, dad. He says, I'm a little bit short. I says, no, you're not. You're six foot one. And he says, no, no, don't be funny. I said, what do you need, dad? I don't know. It was like 50,000 pounds or something. I said, why are you buying a new house? He says, because I want a real house. Not that they were in like a, like an old people's community type house on a clifftop down in Portland. Beautiful place. He says, I want a real house. I go, why? He goes, because when I die, I want to leave you something that's valuable. 
And I'm like, hold on a minute. So I got to pay for something that I got to get back. <laughs> I said, dad, you don't have to give it back. I said, of course I'll help you out. He says, no, it's, it's going to be in the last will and testament. I said, hold on, dad. Let's do the math, my old mate. Shall we? You raised me and my twin sister, right, for 18 years by the time we were gone. I said, I, I think I think maybe I'm still ahead of the game financially. So that's that's it. That's why I do what I do. I get to be able to take care of people who want to learn. It's a saying in AA, if you want what we have, do what we do, right? It's attraction rather than promotion. You can't push a donkey up a hill. Just because you and I know how phenomenal this world is and can be because of what we do, doesn't mean everybody else is going to get it. Some will and some won't. So what? Next. And I mean that with love every time, right? So anyway, I had to get that story in there. I That's my dad. Story and, you know, again, showing the vulnerability and you say, you are you know, I'm not one of the better public speakers. For me, a public speaker is who is successful is not necessarily the one who gets the best sales at the back of a room. He's not necessarily the one who makes the most money from it. It's the one who makes the most impact. And as speakers, you know, we talk about income, inspiration and impact. And of all of those three, I think impact is the most important because the more impact you make overall, the more you inspire and therefore the more money you make, the more income you get as a result of that. And I love that story. And Honestly, like I could sit here and talk all day, literally all day. I'm conscious of your time as well. Um, so inspiring. I, I love everything that you've shared. And I would love to, I, I kind of, part of me wants to end on that because that's such an awesome story. But I also want to throw some quick fire questions at you because it's in my day. Do it. Whatever you got, girly. Bring it on, girl. Bring it on. What was your first ever Pitch presentation or sale? The first one that comes into your mind, whether on the stage or whether in real life, first time you've had to pitch, present, or speak. Yeah, it was uh, it was um, raising private money for Alan Cowgill. That was the story. That was it. I was on a stage and um, I'd seen so many presenters, like I'd, and I and I, I just knew it was something that I could do. I just knew it. I just knew it. So that was the that was the first one. I made five grand in an hour and a half, and I said, "I ain't, I ain't ever going backwards, man. This is it. I'm in." So that was the first one. Love it. What has been your worst ever speech presentation pitch? The one that sticks in your mind is the one you would either you've learned the most from, or you'd like to change. <laughs> there was a woman. So I spoke for a guy who sold um, apartment house uh, investing training right? The software to analyze marketing materials, how to raise money, blah, 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 blah. And he had a competitor. Woman's name was Karen uh, something or other. She actually went to jail. But anyway, um, she had 800 people in a, um, a large restaurant in Dallas. And it was a multi-speaker of, uh, uh, event. And when I say a restaurant, I mean, it was almost like a coliseum, like an arena, these big circles. And um, the closing tables, there was one on each floor. There were three floors. And then there was a stage down at the bottom. And she was so competitive with the guy that I was speaking for because they both had the same products. I go into my clothes and she cut off my microphone. Oh, my God. 
she cut off my microphone. So what I did was, was I then, I'm a trained th th Thespian actor, remember? I can enunciate to the back row. Like I can push my voice out when I need to. So I push my voice out and at the same time, I'm running all three flights to make sure that I can touch as many people as I can. Oh I still close. Yeah, I still closed about uh, seven, ten percent of the room, which was pretty good, seeing as she cut my mic off at the last minute. So I think that was probably one of my favorite ones. Probably a worst yeah. potentially. <laughs> yeah, well, it was the worst because it, it it kind of showed the the cutthroat nature of some of this stuff. Like these these people were so into the the competitive side of of selling that they forgot really that we're here to serve, not sell. So that, that was kind of a challenge around it, but I, I've seen I've seen some shit. Let me tell you, I've seen some stuff. Is it wrong that the first thing that comes into my head is that should have gone under the LLC of fuck you? You know, that's, <laughs> that's the business. That, that, that's definitely it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. With a ten percent conversion with no microphone, and I think that showcases everything that there is that that you've shared. You put yourself in the way of opportunity. You say yes to everything and figure it out afterwards. You do the best that you can possibly do. And that's hugely inspirational. So if I can ask you for one piece of advice for anyone who is listening, because we have people who are brand new to speaking through to those who are really established. So one piece of advice that you would like to leave our listeners with. You know, I can't leave you with one. Two, number one, always, always get in the way of something good. Right? You can't if you give yourself permission. And then number two, um, always tell the truth. And here's why. The truth is a beautiful thing. It never, ever changes. Never changes. So be authentic, be truthful, get in the way of something good. And if nobody else told you you can, I am. It's as simple as that. I'm telling you, you can. Just choose to step into it. It's there for you. What more is there to say? I mean, I could sit here and talk to you for days on end and I'm definitely going to get you back on the podcast in a little while later down the line. Um, but for everyone who is listening, I just want to say a huge thank you because you've shared so much wisdom, so much vulnerability and so many hints and tips that are actionable and practicable for everyone who is listening. So huge thank you for giving up this time today. I know you're a busy guy and it's been an absolute honour to have you on the podcast Thank you so much. Is there anywhere that people can get hold of you if they want to? Because you're doing some huge deals right now in the US. You're a multi-stage speaker. You've got lots to offer. So where can people learn more about what you do or get hold of you? Yeah, best place is probably just go to our website. It's uh, freedomventure.com. Freedomventure.com. Uh, you can learn learn a lot there. You can learn anything about the, the commercial real estate marketplace here in the States or, or the property marketplace here in the States. Um, yeah, go there. Google my name. You might find some shit up there. I don't. I think they took down all of the uh, wanted posters. So th those are good. But uh, yeah, Google me. You'll, you'll find me if you want to learn a little bit more. I'm not, I'm not a big self promoter. You know, I'm more about attraction rather than promotion magnetize people to you it's the easiest way and it seems to be doing well for you so thank you so much thank you to everyone for listening to today's episode of presenting pitching and public speaking in the resources we will put all of the information of what dave has shared and how to get hold of them please make sure you listen to the next episode